Thank you for joining us. We have recently recorded three episodes to share with you in the hopes that they assist with some tricky but essential topics. At least you get to listen to these at leisure and in your own comfortable choice of setting. Our three episodes cover getting your affairs in order, what can we do about affairs when somebody is dying, and what to do when somebody has died. My name is Sarah Dodd and I'm Head of Legacies at Dorothy House. Each year, one in five of our patients is cared for with thanks to gifts left in wills, and this is why legacies are so important to us. Today, I'm very privileged to be joined by David Hill, who is a partner in the private client team at Mergers Druid. Welcome, Dave. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, yes, thank you. So I'm a partner in the Bath office. Uh, we cover Bath, Wells and Sherbourne. Um, I've been with uh, Mergers Druid for 20 years, which seems a very long time, um, but um, we've had a long uh, uh, and good relationship with Dorothy House throughout that time. This topic today is hopefully going to prompt some of us, or all of us, into action, or at least make you think about things. Let's talk about getting your affairs in order. So Dave, the first question that came to my mind is, where do we start? Uh, it's a good question, uh, and it'll be slightly different for everybody, uh, but I think we would start with a blank sheet of paper, uh, write down uh, details of the things that you have, uh, and by that I would mean assets such as your home, savings, pensions, insurance policies. Uh, I think when we do that ourselves, it's, it can be sometimes quite surprising. Uh, we we all tend to, to believe we live ordinary lives, but um, when you put it down on paper it, it can add up to something that's quite significant um, and irrespective of the the actual numbers it's it's ours uh, and it's important that we protect it uh, and make a note of what it is for ourselves and for everybody else that might be involved in looking after us it makes me think about people always say oh my affairs are so <coughs> simple and then you dig a little deeper and then you realize actually you might need a little bit of help that's absolutely right uh, and as I say it's, it's Sometimes only when you do take the trouble to, to, to scratch the surface and have a, have a look at it, um, that it becomes so apparent that we're not quite as straightforward as we might like to think we are. And that's not a bad thing. Um, I think recognising it and taking control of it is really important. And what about things like, or what I'm thinking about is, what are red flags? I, in experience, second marriages are often red flags, minor children... Yes, there's a number of things. Um, uh, as you say, we, we we have a society which is is very mixed, which is good, uh, is very open. Um, but we have uh, relationships where it might be a marriage, it might be civil partnership, um, and we might just be living together. Uh, and the law, unfortunately, is very behind. Uh, it doesn't cover every circumstances, even if you are, you know, married with two children, an average. Um, uh, and, and even less so if you uh, either have uh, a blended family uh, or if you are in what's commonly known as a common law relationship, which actually means nothing in law. Um, and those are circumstances where you should particularly bear in mind that you might need to uh, look at your affairs and make sure what you think will happen will actually happen. And when you're talking about getting your affairs in order, are you just referring to wills? Uh, primarily, yes, um, because as far uh, as the, uh, the the provisions which cover what happens to someone's estate if they don't have a will, which is called the intestacy provisions, it's where the law says, I'm making a will for you, uh, that doesn't cover uh, common law relationships. Uh, so that's as, as an example for wills. You could have uh, a, a really tricky situation if 
one of a partnership passes away. Uh, if they have children, the children are the beneficiaries, not the partner. Uh, and if you have young children, that can be a terrible situation in, in some circumstances. It can almost pitch a parent against a child to, to just to be able to live properly day to day. Um, so wills are very, very important, um, just as important and probably good to view them as if it's an insurance policy is, is lasting powers of attorney. Um, those rules have changed recently, um, uh, but it does mean that, again, you can take control. You can choose who looks after things for you if something happens, which either temporarily or permanently means that you can't manage your affairs. Uh, and you can you can choose who that's going to be. They, you can choose what they do and how they do it. But the important thing is that you appoint someone. If you don't, uh, there is a fallback position, which is called deputyship, uh, which is where an application is made to the Court of Protection uh, to appoint someone to manage someone's affairs. Uh, it works after a fashion. Uh, it's not great because it's very slow, it's very expensive, and it's very cumbersome, and it can be very upsetting. The way that that works is that the court appoints someone to do their bidding. Uh, they tell the person who's acting what to do. Uh, and you have to ask for, for permission to do anything uh, for the person that, that, that can no longer act for themselves. Uh, and say that's, that's slow uh, and, and upsetting for the family. It also sounds like it's unnecessary costs. Whereas if you'd planned beforehand and done the lasting powers of attorney and registered them, you wouldn't be spending thousands instead of hundreds to get the documents in That's absolutely right. So there, there's there's a time issue, uh, there's a convenience issue, and then there's an emotional issue. Um, but also it comes down to choice. Uh, if I create a power of attorney, I will choose who's going to look after things for me. And that's, that's set in stone. Uh, and I think that's important for all of us. The, you know, the power of choice is something that we quite like uh, and uh, something we should defend and use. Absolutely. So then I'm going to ask, who should we talk to? Well, I'm bound to say that you need to come and talk to a professional. Um, uh, and uh, you should talk to someone who deals with this area of, of law. Uh, it's generally termed private client, which doesn't mean much to anyone outside of a, of a legal practice, but it covers things that deal with us as individuals. Uh, so that would be wills, uh, powers of attorney, uh, tax planning. Uh, and dealing with estates of, of someone that's passed away. So the probate process is what it's generally called. Um, but uh, yes, let's say private client, uh, lawyer is what you need. Uh, and that's what private client means to you. I was thinking, people don't like talking about this stuff. So why should we talk about it? You're absolutely right. Uh, uh, and I think it's a particularly English trait. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about death because it's unsavory and it's, you know, it's, it's not something that we should do, but it's absolutely wrong. We absolutely should do. And sometimes we're forced to talk about it because uh, a family member or someone close to us has had a terminal diagnosis and, and we have to. Um, but it, it would be good if it was normal to talk about these things. Um, we see it sometimes as unsavory or mercenary or money grabbing. That's rarely what it's about. Um, it's about making life easier and settling our own minds. If I know if I've got my will or power of attorney up to date, I can forget about it. It's done. It's, it's, it's sorted. If I haven't done it, then I might be worried about it. And that applies, I think, from my experience when I've been seeing uh, you know, people that are being cared for up here at Dorothy House. It's the relief that they get when they've done something, which is 
sometimes in a fairly desperate situation, some the, the one thing or one of the few things that they have got control over, and that's good. So then it begs the question, is it ever too early to start? No, it's not. Going back to our first part of the conversation is, you know, where do you start with this? I would say that you probably the first place to, to start is when you get your first job. And that might be when you're in your late teens, which seems completely foreign to us. Of why would you do it then? But usually with a first job, if you start to get a, a financial history, you'll probably have a pension. You may have a benefit that that was paid to your estate if you die whilst you're whilst you're employed. Um, you may start saving. Uh, you may set up a, a, a life policy. All those things that suddenly come with a change in circumstance. Um, so that I would say is the starting point. And then there's probably a number of triggers throughout our lives uh, which ought to make us look at the, the and review things. So that might be when we. Um, get into a serious relationship or buy a property or have a family or a family member passes away, all those unusual or things. Or you win the lottery. Yeah. Yes, in which case, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to do it remotely on an island somewhere as long as you send me a ticket. But it's, okay. you, you know, it's, it's those things. And, and it's sometimes they can be a distraction and take your mind away from what's usually a, a seems like a mundane task of looking at your will or power of attorney or, or your finances. Um, but if we make it more normal, I think it's easier to do. As I say, it's one of those things, it's, it stops niggling away and it stops being something in the back of your mind that you know you should do but haven't yet done. Um, and if I can use this phrase, sometimes it's actually quite selfish of us not to do it because if we don't do it, we're not giving ourselves a problem, we're giving a problem to our families. Um, and I don't think many of us would actually choose to do that. What if somebody wants to leave a gift to a charity in a will? Can you actually include this? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, charity is a beneficiary it, treated pretty much in the same way as an individual. Uh, aside from some potential benefits, um, uh, gifts to registered charities and, and some other institutions are exempt from inheritance tax. Uh, and if you give a significant proportion of your estate, and by that I mean around about 10%, can actually reduce the tax rate for the rest of your estate too. Uh, so it can be a good part of tax planning as well as being a, you know, a, a generous uh, uh, um, uh, thing to do in, in your will as well. And what would you need from um, somebody coming to see you in terms of what information do they need to give you about the charity? Well, generally speaking, it's the name of the charity. Uh, and sometimes if it's, a, if it's a, a larger charity, they may have sections which deal with particular areas of the country. Um, but what we do is... We check the charity register and every charity has got a registered charity number, which we include in, in the reference to the charity and the gift to make sure we've got the right people. Thank you so much to David for spending the time with me today and sharing all of his knowledge. To the listeners, I hope that the information has been useful. And if you'd like to contact either of us, please do go to the Mergers Group's website or the Darkly House website. And you might have some more suggestions for topics in the future. Thank you, David, for being with me. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for, for being asked. It's always a pleasure to, to come and help where we can. Uh, and as I say, if there's anyone listening to this who's got a question, just give us a call. We're not too scary. <laughs>